Welcome, everybody. I am hoping not to be very long, which I'm sure many would rejoice. I have a plan. I have hopes. I don't think it's going to take a long time to accomplish it. And if anything, if I go too long, I will obscure it. So I'm going to do something a little bit different today, but I have to give you just kind of some context. And I feel like I have a little bit of license to do something a little bit different just because of the context. So if you've been with us for the last month or so, actually greater than a month, Clayton and Ken, father-son, son-father, they have been talking about entering the promised land. They have spent a good, correct me if I'm wrong, four to five weeks. They have done looking at Exodus uh, 13, 14, Joshua 3 and 4, and really looking at the principles as well as the realities of what it took to enter the promised land. Israelites had problems, we all know that. I've always said I identify very well with them because I've done a lot of what they've done. So there's a lot of scriptural basis that has been laid over the last four to five weeks, a lot of scripture, a lot of principles. And for that reason, I felt like I could do a little bit with less scripture and talk a little bit more about some just real life things. So that's why I'm going to do that, hope to do that today. So our president, Donald J. Trump, had this quote. I'm going to start with a quote by the president. He says, we will have so much winning if I get elected that you may get bored with winning. Say it again. We will have so much winning if I get elected that you may get bored with winning. It's not a very presidential thing to say. Probably a little controversial. And if, you're like, if you actually looked at the quote, you'd probably have to ask yourself, what the heck does that mean? That I would win so much that I would get bored with winning. It's offensive. Trump in and of himself is probably offensive. And I'm not here to pick sides. I'm not here to talk about Donald J. Trump per se. But his statement is very interesting for us. See, unfortunately, winning is kind of an offensive principle today. If I would actually have to say anything, is that winning, the very concept of winning, is actually underrated. It's underrated. How can, you say, how, can, how can you say that? Winning is winning. How is that bad? No, it's actually underrated. It's not encouraged. It's not necessarily endorsed. It's like it's too much. Winning is, in our culture today, in our PC culture, it's like it's too much. Because if I emphasize winning, that means somebody lost, and you know, I feel bad that somebody lost, and it's, ugh, it's too much. <laughs> winning is underrated. Accept that as a fact. I believe it is. I'm going to talk about some real-life things, talk about my life, about my family's life. So as you probably know, I like baseball. I like baseball. I, I played baseball. My sons play baseball. I've coached baseball. And you see a lot of real-life stuff on the ball field. Another coach who was helping me on this team that I was coaching, he came to me and said, you know, he played in this other league. And he said, you know, our league, they, they stopped keeping score. So I, I guess at that point, I could say it ceases to be a sport. Because if you don't keep score, and it was actually an intentional thing 
that they decided they weren't going to keep score because they didn't want to have the issue of people wanting to win so much. That's why I say winning is underrated, isn't it? Now, I know youth sports, a little out of hand to get that. True. Seen it. Believe me, I've seen it. True. But it illustrates the point that if there's any trend in our culture, it's not to emphasize the reality and the need for winning. I like winning. I want to be bored with winning. And I, can, I thought about it just briefly, and I, and I thought about this. I actually had a point in my life where I actually feel like I was in this place that I had such an expectation that I was going to win that I didn't even feel like I had to try. I didn't really have to prepare. I was just like, I'm going to show up, and I'm going to get this deal. I mean, it's like this level of arrogance. Misplaced. Get it. But it was as if I was bored with winning. May it never be so, but you only get, that's a good problem to have because that means you're winning. So, I have a message title, and if you're in my life group, which is two people, <laughs> not including ourselves, they know this, right, because they've heard me say it, they've repeated it back to me, which is I love, and my message title is, you have to win. That's my title. You not me, you have to win. You have to, you must win. It is imperative that you win. These are my opinions, mind you. Here's a fact. Jesus never lost. Never did. If he had, we wouldn't be able to win. Jesus is the greatest winner that ever lived. Not trying to go to a logical conclusion of what that means for the current culture, but Jesus never lost. He always won, and I'm sure he never got tired of it. He certainly wasn't bored with it. He had a goal, and he achieved the goal. He won. And that fact enables us to win. You see, you have, we've been talking about the promised land. And a promised land, if you just think about it at its most basic form, it is a land that is good that was promised for you. Who made the promise? God. So if God has a promised land for you and you know that, then I think God wants you to win. I think that follows pretty logically, right? Which means God wants you to win. And for me to say otherwise is actually unbiblical and heretical. Thus my title, you have to win. There is a promised land for you, and you have to win. This is about as most basic of a real-life issue as I can imagine, as I've dealt with people in various circumstances, and everybody has problems. Everybody does. Everybody has a challenge. Everybody has an adversary. Everybody has a situation that needs to resolve positively. Every single one of you. And you know what? You have to overcome and you have to win. I sound like a motivational speaker now. 
I said, I have license to do a little bit less scripture this week. All right. How do you win? That's my question. I hope you're asking me that question. I don't have Jen telling me great questions. I just came up with this one on my own. How do you win? Because you must win, so how do you? And this is the answer that I've personally said to people. You have to find a way. That's not much of an answer. I know you're telling me that. You have to find a way. So I said I'm going to be a little bit more practical today. I've got props. No Yankees. <laughs> Opening day, Washington Nationals, April 3rd. About a little more than six weeks away. It is baseball season. It is coming. I love baseball. You know why I love baseball? I love baseball for a lot of things. One of the things that I didn't really think about, but somebody said to me about baseball, I said, you know, baseball is a funny thing. And youth baseball is a great thing. This parent said to us, he said, you know why they love baseball? Because every kid who plays has the opportunity to be the focal point of all the action, every game. What does that look like? You got a bat. I brought this bat because I love the color, but the name of the bat, the company is Combat. That's why I love the bat. That's a great name for a bat. You see, I've coached baseball. Kids get to hit. And when kids get into that batter's box, every single, if this was a stadium or just a field, every single focus of attention of every single one of you would be on the person getting into the batter's box. Every single one. There is a moment of time in that at bat that everybody is focused on that kid stepping into the box getting ready to hit, every eye is on him. That's fantastic. Why? Because it's a battle. It's man on man. Pitcher, batter. There's nobody else. You see, I've coached baseball, and I like to win. I don't coach to lose. We do keep score. I like the score. I have assistants. They help me out. I have a data guy. He feeds me data on base percentage, batting average, you know, tendencies. I mean, he's got data. And we spend hours putting together a game plan. Lineup construction, optimal lineup construction. There's software to do this. He writes software. I have to make judgments about the opposing pitcher. Who's going to play where to counter the other players and where they might hit the ball? Because you have better players and you have not as good players. But they all play and they all get to hit. And you put hours preparing a game plan, and you show up, you got your pregame ritual. Parents hate it, oh, you gotta bring your kid an hour before the game, you do your batting practice, you get your warm-ups, get all the kids getting ready to go, you got your little league pledge, everything, it's like the pageantry of it all, and then you get to start. All this preparation goes in, and I don't know what it is, but I've coached teams, and this was characteristic of the teams that I coached. First inning, all this planning, all this hopes, all the pageantry, and you get in, first inning, and we get shelled. We get shelled. 
first inning, we're down 9-0. I mean, I'd like to think I'm not a bad coach, but this was pretty common to the point that I had a speech that I would give to the kids. And it was this, I, I should have just recorded it because it would have been the same speech every single game. You see, Ken, last week, he spoke about the Israelites in the promised land, about going towards the promised land. And they came out in, in fighting formation. Getting ready to, and yet at the first sign of adversity, at the first issue, what happened? They cried out, I want to go back. So I had these baseball teams, first inning, we're down, ridiculous. You get, in, in a lot of tournaments, you're down 10 runs after four innings, it's over. Slaughter rule, done. So we get down 9-0 in the first inning. If you know anything about me, you know I didn't gather them around and hug it out. <laughs> right? I'm not here to hug it out. I'm not here to tell you the silver lining of how great a day it is. Oh, isn't it great to be able to play? No. He's not lying. I'm not lying. I had this speech, and it goes like this. First of all, I'm upset, first of all. So I got to calm down. I have all the kids come in after this disaster first inning. All the, whatever plans you had, it's gone now. Bring all the kids in. They're all at least 10 to 12-year-olds, right? So you, you got to be sort of gentle because, you know, parents are right there and all that. And you, you gather them in. You gather them in. This, this is what I do. I'm not lying. And you gather them in, and you're like, and my assistant's looking at me. He's like, all right, what are you going to say? You know, by the third game, we knew what we are going to say. You gather them in, all right. All right, bring it in. Ben was part of this, so he can attest to all this. All right, sorry. Hi there. All right. That's it. That's it. I said, we are down 9-0. I don't care about the score. I don't care anymore. I said, but the bottom line is, you got to find a way. You have to find a way. I said, we're not going to waste any at-bats. We're not going to waste any opportunities. You've got to find a way. So when you get into that batter's box and you have now two strikes and there's, it's you against the pitcher, you've got to find a way. Do not waste any single opportunity. Find a way. I said, I don't care about the score now. We're going to win this inning. We're going to win this inning. And you have to find a way. You've got to find it. And that's what I'm telling you right now. I'm not here to hug it out. Although I like hugging. Saw my hug with Roger. Finding a way. What does that mean? Because it's easy for me to say, and there's a couple different elements, and I want to take you through this, but this is about as real life as you can get. Because when you get buffeted by an adversary or a situation, and every part of you, your emotions, your flesh, is finding every single reason why the probability of success is ex extremely low, your first natural instinct is to say, uh-uh, I'm out. I want to go back to Egypt. 
Why did you bring me here to die? This is about as one plus one equals two as any experience that we know. And I know every single one of you has heard those voices. And the last thing you want is somebody to tell you that you've got to find a way. Well, I'm here, I'm that guy now, and I'm telling you that if you're in that situation, you have to find a way. And I'm not here to highlight the flesh, but you need to understand something. That finding a way, part of it is just digging down deep, and I'm going to explain that. And this is all in the context of all that has been preached four to five weeks, last four to five weeks. You see, there's a Navy SEAL. I saw a video of this on YouTube. This Navy SEAL was actually addressing probably the Los Angeles Raiders at the time, not the Oakland Raiders, Los Angeles Raiders, pro football team. And I'm sure these professional athletes are looking at this guy, who the heck are you? Of course, this guy's a Navy SEAL. And this Navy SEAL's addressing them, and he's not talking about teamwork now, he's just talking about guys being willing to just gut it out. And he said when he went through the Navy SEAL program, he basically honed his self-encouragement down to four words. Not dead, can't quit. Four words. Four. He'd boiled down the essence of it all for himself to four words, and he said, not dead, can't quit. Yeah. Now, you need, to, you need to understand what I'm not saying, too. Okay. First of all, this... If you're a Navy SEAL, you are abnormal. <laughs> you are abnormal. I'm not preaching about you becoming, having the attitude of a Navy SEAL, but he illustrates a point. These guys are like, I don't know what the ratio is, but it's so far out in the sigmas that they are abnormal. Just accept that as fact. But what he illustrates is that there is an element of being so resolved in your will that you will not be deterred. One of the reasons why military, people who served in the military, can do such damage as the king, in the kingdom is because they have a strong soul. Fear, anxiety, yeah, that doesn't reign. Your mind, your will, emotions, that's your soul, right? The reason why the military can do such damage is that the emotional aspect of fear and anxiety doesn't rule. And they've been steeled in their will. Their will is so strong that whatever adversity they push through. And that's just in the flesh. But the world can teach a church a lot about just this idea of having a strong soul and being willing to face adversity and not crumble. That's the world's playground right there. And you see some of these incredibly abnormal people, like Navy SEALs, they illustrate the height of man in that area. A will that is so steeled that nothing can deter them. Soul strength is key for all of us. Not advocating you becoming a Navy SEAL and having that same regard. But the soul strength through discipline is needed. If I tell you otherwise, I'd be lying. I'm going to get to the spiritual aspect part, but understand that the soul strength of having discipline and a will that is steeled is a key, a huge part of actually winning. 
You know, in my house, I like to say in my house, I rule, I'm the king. They know that. My kids know that. Whether they believe it or not, that's a different story, but that's what I say. <laughs> and I've learned a lot over the years, and I wish I started with what I know now, but I didn't. But over time, you know, Marie and I just do the best we can to try and train up our kids and, and all of that. But over time, I've kind of whittled down like my fatherly advice, hopefully sage advice, right? Because you want them to be successful. I'm not training my boys to lose. I'm trying to train them to win. And I've, I've, I've said to them in as much, I've come to this most compact form that I know of what advice can I give you to hold on that will assure success as best as I know. And it's two things. Number one, these are my rules that I hope that they would actually acquire for themselves. Number one, whatever situation you're in, you have to ask yourself the question, who's in charge? That's number one. Number two, it's only two. Number two, show up. If they just do that, I am pretty confident they will win. Who's in charge? And just show up. Now, I'm not brilliant. I'm not the only one to have said these things. So it's kind of comforting when you hear other people say similar things. I just saw this article just yesterday. No, two days ago. If you're a tech guy, government contracting, a lot of those around here, you know this guy. His name is Linus Torvalds. He's the father of Linux, the operating system. He wrote this article because it's this huge thing in the startup world about like innovation, you know, this innovation culture. And he said, he basically said this. He said, success for most startups or most technology firms, it goes like this. There's 1% innovation and 99% perspiration. That's what it is. And his advice to this whole community was this. Just shut up and get the work done. <laughs> That's what he said. It was this direct quote. I loved it. I wrote it down. I copied it in my notes. Perseverance. Shut up and get the work done. I don't say it like that to my kids. But you know, perseverance, I want to encourage you in that, the need for it, the having the soul strength to be able to push through. I asked Justin last night if I could share this story. As I'm just trying to give you as real life examples I can I can provide. And I asked Justin if I could share this, and he said, sure. So Justin's in college, and he was in this class, I think it was some circuits class in engineering. And it didn't start well. As parents, like, we don't want to get this call. He did not do well on this first two exams. One of his because he misscheduled it. So very quickly in this class, it's a required class, very quickly he is in that situation of do I drop it? And there's all these time rules about, well, if you drop it, it appears in your transcript versus not appearing in transcript. And there's a decision to be made. So he's asking us just what we thought. And, you know, so we're saying, well, you know, one of the things you can do is go talk to your professor and see if there's anything that 
you know, he could advise. So he goes to talk to the professor, and the professor says, I think you should drop the class. Oh, that's helpful. So we talked to him, I said, Justin, I said, this is up to you. It's like, I don't care about whether it, you, know, you drop it and it appears in your transcript. I said, I don't care. God's way bigger than that. I said, but you have to decide. Are you going to go for it, or are you going to quit and drop it? And he said to us, it's like, you know, I kind of want to try. And I'm like, we were both in the call. And it's like, yeah, go for it. We love it. I mean, how can you not love that, right? So it wasn't easy. Success was in no way assured. His professor, as I said, was recommending that he drop it. But he just persevered, and we prayed, and he worked. And the end result, he got one of his worst grades out of all, but it's probably the best grade he ever got because he finished. And that finishing, as part of his part, this is his story now, and part of his testimony, because the other part of the story is that because he did that and did not have to take in summer school, opened up an opportunity for him to take in the summer. There's always repercussions. But the value of perseverance and developing through discipline a willingness just to stick in and just show up I'd be lying if I told you that wasn't a key for anybody in the kingdom. It is. And if I was a motivational speaker, that's all there would be. Because that's the world. How to discipline yourself, how to basically set yourself for success. These are all control issues, right? And I'm talking about, I use the example of the Navy SEAL because he represented to me the height of man, the height of the strength of man. An indomitable will that is so strong that I can't even imagine being like that. But there are people like that. Finding a way also includes what we always talk about here, digging wells. But you need to understand the context. See, when you, when you are told to dig deep, you can find that inner soul strength that can enable you to succeed. Yes, needed, absolutely. And when you keep digging deep, eventually you come to the end of yourself. You come to the end. See, at the end of yourself, which I'm talking about the flesh being yourself, at the end of yourself, you've pushed through the emotions, the fear, the anxiety, every possible reason why your chances of success are exceedingly low. You've done everything you know to do. You've, made, you've exhausted every plan that you could ever conceive and come up with by your well-trained mind. You've stuck in as best as you know because your will is so resolved. And you've done all that and you still haven't found breakthrough. That's the end of yourself. And digging a well means piercing through the veil into that most holy of places and finding the stream of living water that only he can provide. You see, that stream of living water referred to in John 7, 38, this is now, you're at the end of yourself. No plan you can conceive or operate. No amount of effort 
and self-discipline is going to solve your problem. And yet the adversary still exists. And at that point, breakthrough comes in various forms. And, but what I'm talking about, the dig, the wells that you dig, one of those wells, just as an example of what it looks like, is there an appreciation and an understanding that he is trustworthy, that he is good, that he is for you, not against you. And you say, yeah, I mean, that's pretty basic stuff. But when you operate from that place, as in, it's never a question anymore. It's not, well, God's good, yeah, now. But I don't know if he's really good. It's like, no, God is good all the time, any circumstance, whether or not what's happening is actually fitting my plan or not, God is good, because I just know it. It's here. And whether I can actually appreciate anything of the circumstance of the chances of success, I trust him. Those are the wells that you dig when you actually go beyond, you come to the end of yourself and you have to now go beyond to find breakthrough. And you have to find that breakthrough. You have to, when you get to the end of yourself, then you start digging wells in the spirit and you have to find that breakthrough. I can't give you that breakthrough. I can bless you through my breakthroughs, but you have to do it. You have to find a way and whatever it takes to go into the place, secret place and find God and find the life of God, you have to do it because it is a battle and the rewards are immense because there is a promise that you have to obtain and you must win. Winning doesn't sound so much fun anymore. Just being as honest as I can with you, I, I've had victories, I've had losses. And some of the victories, when I look back and I saw what it required, if I was really honest with myself, I said, if I knew what it was going to take to find that victory, I don't know if I would have gone down that road. But whatever road God has for you, whatever adversary, whatever situation you need to see resolved positive, you've got to find a way. There's soul strength and discipline issues that need to be resolved, but even beyond that, there is the life of God that you have to find. And I trust you will find it. Because I'm here to tell you, everything is dependent upon it. The why do you need to win? It's for you, your family, your kids, those around you. It's all dependent upon that. Your destiny, your call, these are the things that are at stake. Now, what do you do after you win? Because I'm not here to just continually pound you and say you have to win. I'm assuming you're going to win. I am just, I'm here to blow wind in your cells and tell you you have to win and I believe you're going to win. What do you do after you win? It's a good question. This is the answer. What do you do after you win? Win some more. Exactly. See, when you win, others win. Sam Adelman, 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 sorry. Lawyer, Esquire, that's the only part that matters. Sam Esquire, 
preached about testimony. Which all this to say, to sum it down, boil it down, very simple, God, do it again. When every victory you have is a potential victory for somebody else just by testifying and basically just saying, God, do that again. Winning is everything. I can say that because I'm not coaching a youth sports team. Winning is everything. And yet winning is not easy. So I'm going to end on this story. Because this is just as... I need to ground this thing, right? Because winning is not easy. It, it comes at a cost. So we were in Korea, just to close in this story. And my father-in-law had made her, the whole family was there uh, in terms of you know, Marie's siblings and their kids and his whole family there. And my father-in-law made arrangements. One of the things that he made arrangements for is for the, the whole family to go and visit a nuclear facility in Korea because he was in the nuclear business. Pretty cool. You don't just walk into nuclear facilities, right? So, you know, on the day that we're supposed to go to this nuclear facility, you know, it required a bus ride. It's in the mountains, so it's going to require a bus ride, windy roads, the whole thing. And in the morning, you know, Marie comes to me and says, Justin's not feeling well. He's nauseous. And we're like, okay, um, hmm, windy bus ride, already nauseous. And now our minds are kind of flashing back to a number of years ago when we took a plane ride uh, when Sam was like two months old going to San Francisco. We had a, a stop in O'Hare and Justin got airsick and you know, he, we landed in uh, Chicago. He threw up and he was so dizzy he just couldn't move. So we, were, we ended up getting stuck there for nine hours as, as an unintended layover. And, you know, we're flashing back to this whole scene. Of the, it was just it was bad. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, you know, he's already nauseous and we're going to go on a windy bus ride. If he gets motion sickness, who knows what's going to happen, right? And we're like, oh. And then she says to me, but he really wants to go. I don't know why, but he really wants to go. We're like, oh my goodness. They're like, okay. So we go on the bus and I'm sitting next to him. <laughs> and the only thought that I had contemplating what lay before us was I'm going to pray for him. That's like, I don't have any other plan. What I'm going to tell him, Justin, just don't get sick. That's not a plan. So anyway, all to say is that we went on the bus and it was a major concern. And I just resolved myself, I'm going to sit next to him I'm going to put my hand, you know, he was just sitting next to me, put my hand on his neck. And I was like, I'm just going to pray. So I did. I'm not trying to over-dramatize. All I did, I just prayed. Prayed in tongues. Just prayed for him. Just the whole trip up. And thankfully he got there with that incident. Justin's decision, he got on the bus. That was his decision. He had a choice. 
And he had just decided for himself, I want to go. I'm not feeling great. There's problems. I'm getting on the bus. Unbeknownst to him, I was next to him with my hand on him, just interceding for him. And what I'm here to tell you is that that's exactly you with Jesus interceding for you. Because that's what he said. In Romans chapter 8, it speaks of being more than a conqueror. And Jesus said, he is interceding for you. You get on that bus. Future not assured in your mind, but there, make no mistake, Jesus is interceding for you. Just as much as I, as Justin's parent, was praying for him the whole way up. He's doing that for you. And I just leave that to you. That's my encouragement for you. You have to win. You have to find a way. Could be some discipline issues that you can develop in your soul strength. But you may very well likely come to the end of yourself and you've got to find the life of God in your circumstance. That's digging a well. But in all the way, in that whole process, that whole journey you're going through, you're not alone. He's interceding for you on your behalf, strengthening you so that you actually achieve what he intended at the very outset that you achieve, your promised land. So let's just stand up. I'm just going to pray for you. That's okay. This is not intended to be dramatic. And I don't want to obscure the point, which is why my title was as simple as it was. You have to win. You do. And I think if you keep that in the forefront, you'll find a way. So just close your eyes. Let's just pray. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for each person here, each person represented by someone here. I thank you for each promise that you have spoken, for each plan that has already been laid out, each destiny that Liddy was put in place from the very beginning of time. And I thank you that you're always for us, always for us. And Lord, I just pray over this people, this group of people, Lord, I say success over them. I say victory upon them. I say let winning be a characteristic. Lord, if it hasn't been in the past, let it be of the future. Let victory come, Lord. I pray just steal them, Lord, with an ability, Lord, literally in the, in the spirit as well as the soul. Lord, give them everything they need to be victorious. Lord, I know you, Lord, are partnering with them even now, Lord, encouraging, coming alongside and interceding. But Lord, I just bless them and I say success, success and victory over them in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Amen. Let it be done. Amen.